This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, I have an awesome, creative, Aussie guest for you on the pod today. His name is Sam Kennedy. He's a creative director and producer. On top of that, he's a voiceover artist. He's also done heaps of TV presenting. This guy's unstoppable. Had a really successful career in Australia and still does have, but has also been based in the UK, working on, you know, humongous music video clips, producing them. I actually love what Sam had to say about being a producer. He's like, you're kind of like the Oracle. If you're on a shoot, you're probably going to know more than any other person on the shoot and you just have to. And he described like all the, he carries this thing around when he's a producer called the Bible, which is kind of like going to have call times, contact details, know exactly where people need to be at certain times, shot lists, all that kind of stuff. So it was really cool to get that kind of behind the scenes taste of a, a, a real like producer's brain, which I loved. Sam is here in LA focusing on producing films now, which is so exciting. And it's so interesting to get an insight into the the magical land of film and TV. I don't know if you, if you know this, but it's really interesting when you watch a movie, it's rarely is it shot chronologically. Like often you'll be shooting like the romance scene at the very start or a really emotional scene at the start that may not happen until like the very end of a movie or the very end of a season on a TV show. So it, I imagine being a producer on a film or TV set, one, you're like juggling so many different things, but also being aware that things aren't shot in like that kind of chronological order, you know? So very, very, very interesting. Sam, super inspiring. He also added a PS at the end of this podcast. So make sure you listen to the very end because he really wanted to share some kind of some stuff around failure and why it actually ended up being such a great gift for him. And I encourage you to really um, soak that up because it's an awesome lesson and just a really, really cool story as well. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing sharing so much of yourself and it was a total honour to have you on this podcast. I was so inspired by it and I really hope everybody that listens to it is as well. Big love. Bye. Sam Kennedy, welcome, my friend. You were Thank just you. saying, oh, I hate talking about myself. We're about to talk about you for the next 45 minutes. I know, I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. So honoured to have you on the pod, my friend. I can't wait to like uncover all the amazing things that you've done, producing but also TV presenter, voice, I've listened to your voiceover reel. Very Australiana. <laughs> Sounds nothing like me. Much more Australiana <laughs> than I'm used to when I hang with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but also like lived, travelled all over the world, had your own production companies as well. Um but also, I guess I just want to start with, we were connected via Instagram about, I want to say about a month ago yeah. by mutual mate Tom. Yeah. And we met the classic, iconic LA way 
by doing Runyon Canyon. I know, we're such LA wankers. <laughs> we, are, we are, we are, we are. So I, from the moment I met you, I was like, ah, oh, good human. And I feel like here as well, I don't know, but I feel like my spidey senses have become sharper of picking a dingo and picking a good human. And as soon as I hung out with you, I was like, I've got to hang out with that human more. You're a legend. Likewise, likewise. So thank you. Thank you for being my friend and thank you for taking me under your wing, (laughs) especially for my birthday. Yeah, of course. Let's start at the start. Is it true Here we go. (laughs) Like what research have you done? Too much. I'm a Virgo. Yeah. Is it true that your first gig was when you were eight years old? Yes. Voiceover? Yes. So. Jesus. (laughs) Is that what kicked it up? It kicked it all off? Or was it more like I did this gig young and then did you train, like school, were you always into the entertainment style? Yeah, good question. Um, My dad was very instrumental in starting a charity in Australia called the – Starlight Children's Foundation. Oh, my God, I've done the – I've worked for Starlight. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So there was um, a guy called Jeffrey Cousins um, who started it and then Dad became involved with him. Anyway, um, point is that they were doing some ad and they needed a kid's voiceover and so they brought me into the studio. Dad worked in advertising at the time and, yeah, I did this, like, little voiceover and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And I think I was always, my parents were very outgoing, used to host like huge parties where everyone would dress up and all that type of stuff. So I think that kind of like entertainment type thing, whatever that thing is, was always in the family. Mm. Um, neither of my parents worked in entertainment. Dad was in advertising. Um, but yeah, so it's always kind of been around me, I guess. Mm. And I, that makes total sense as well. I love I know I think my mum's always been an entertainer as well, a nurse, so not in the industry, but, like, she loves to put a show on. Yeah. Like, and to wine and dine. And I so I can see the – I'd never drawn the parallels, but I can totally see it. So I heard you say in another interview that at school when you'd have to do an essay, you'd be like, can I uh, submit a video for this? Yes. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> I'd always try and do a video as much as I could. So I feel like you were already interested in this kind of like media kind of entertainment style. Is that what led you to initially start studying media and calm at uni? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I was heavily into it at school um, and into acting and like doing presentations on video, which was an amazing learning experience for me because I learned how to edit, like properly edit before that was like a digital thing, like mm-hmm. where you do tape to tape editing for those mm-hmm. who know what that is. Um, and so when I was leaving school, I was like, what do I do? Like, what do you do with this? Like, I felt that I was too young and inexperienced to apply for afters. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. What's, what's afters? Oh, Australian Film and Television Radio School. Got it. Um, so my careers advisor told me to that there was this new course at um, Sydney Uni. Yeah, Sydney Uni called Media and Communications mm-hmm. and that would be perfect for me. So I applied for that, got in, went and did that, didn't last. <laughs> Is it true three weeks in you were like, um, so when do I get to be on a film set? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like in four yeah. years. I don't want to mock the course, but for me it was so much theory. I've been used to like making videos as projects for school. Like I made a video for my art, HSC, that got into Art Express and like I just wanted to be making film. Content. And yeah. content, yeah. 
And it was just very like we were learning about, oh, just all this crap that I think for a journalist would be fascinating, but Mm. I didn't want to be a journalist. So I went up to the lecturer and said, hey, you know, like when can I make a film? And she was like, oh, well, in your internship you could totally make a film. And I'm like, okay, when's that? And she goes, in year four. And I'm like, this is week three, mate. Like, (laughs) I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, Good on you for figuring that out so early on in your degree. I had the same thing. I studied um, Bachelor of Performing Arts at Monash and I remember the day one orientation the teacher goes, 98% of you are going to be drama teachers. And I was like, do you want to put a dagger in my heart? (laughs) Because I just knew I didn't have the skill set. I'm not patient at all. I, I, I'm. But also, way what too a horrible selfish. thing to say. <laughs> Dampen the mood day yeah, one, yeah. right? And so I think I lasted. Oh no, I did half the course, so a year and a half, and pulled pulled out. My dad's like, "Please get a degree one day," but I didn't till much later on. And so I, I kudos for you, to you for being able to call it in three weeks. That's. I was just so bored. <laughs> I, so I didn't want to get up and go to yeah. uni um, and I was just like, I can't, if this is week three, I can't do this for four years. Yeah. Like there's no way there has to be an alternative. And is that what then led you to film school? Yeah. So, and you did a master's, yeah? Yeah. So this girlfriend of mine um, was at this film school, which wasn't afters, um, which you could apply for and I looked into it and I was like, anything is better than doing this theory-based course at the moment. Um, so... I sat my midterm exams but didn't actually go to any of the classes just in case I needed it. Yeah. And then I worked in a call centre for six months, which was really fun. Um, you would meet the most amazing people at call centres, I reckon. I was top, like, sales or whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the whole trick of being in a call centre is to act like you're not reading a script like it's a natural conversation. Got it. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other, yeah. other story. Um <laughs> But then I, yeah, I applied for the film school and got in and went there for two years, which was just heaven. So what were you learning, like directing? Everything. Oh, wow. How to be a DP, how to direct, how to produce, um, set design, like everything. And you could on each project, like I can't remember how they set it out, but I think there was like eight projects a year. You could rotate. So you could be a director on one, you could be the producer on one and you've got your little crew um, you know, your soundo, a cameraman, whatever, and you'd go off and you'd shoot commercials, content, short films. So good. Plus it was theory-based. Like there was a lot of tests, um, which was great, but just to be able to practice like that, mm. I didn't understand the value of it until I left. Because you're trying on all these different skill sets that when you're on a set, usually whatever your job is, that's your you're set, you're yeah. that job. So you got, did you have a favourite thing like directing or producing? Like what was your fave? Um, I love directing and producing. I wish I'd actually explored more of the things that I wasn't as interested in just to get a better understanding of it. But directing and producing, I think I did my main thing was directing and then my like subunit was producing. Oh, so cool. So how did then... Because I've watched your show reel too. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> With TV presenting. 15 and... <laughs> years ago, yeah, yeah. So much fun. You were a lot of fun. You're very getaway vibes. Yes, yeah. Um, how did that come into play? Was that when you were studying? Was that after you were studying? Like, Gosh. Did you study I... acting at some point? 
No, I acted a lot at school. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was drama captain and all that crap. Oh, so was you know? I. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I loved acting and did drama at school and all that. I didn't act so much when I left. I was more into like the behind the scenes thing. Yeah. But then I ended up working in casting um, before I left film school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was casting a TV commercial and some guy said to me, oh, you've got a great voice. And I'm like, well, whatever. Like, oh, I, you do? I don't. No, He's, you he do. was just saying that. I'm still to this day, I'm sure he was just saying that. But I'd see him because he'd keep coming in. He'd be like, when are you going to do my course? And at the end, I just kind of gave in. I'm like, I'll do this voiceover course. And I loved it. Mm. And it was really fun. And then he happened to be casting a... Um, a cartoon which was the animated Bible. Cool. And so I went and auditioned for this animated Bible. Yeah. Um, and when they got me, they got me there. They told me that um, the accent had to be North Atlantic American. I still to this day don't know what that is. When you got there, yes. so you didn't get any prep time. No, 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 nothing. Oh. And then they're like, just copy the director's accent. He's North Atlantic American or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so I do this like terrible, terrible job. And then they book me to play Cain or Abel, one of them I can't remember. And I'm like, they clearly like have no one else. Like I sounded terrible. But then I got in there and they were like, hey, could you also play Adam? Could you also play Isaac? Could you also? And so I ended up doing like eight characters in this cartoon. With the same accent or different yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> Same accent, just different characters, but they're all just like a version of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's how that kicked off. And then um, I ended up getting a job as the voice of MTV Australia. I oh, heard that, heard that, saw that, heard that on, yeah. the, on your website. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that for three years, which was such amazing training. Um, and when I was doing it, no one was really doing voiceovers. It wasn't a thing that actors did. It was kind of completely separate. Yeah, they were two different skill sets, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. But I love that because just in terms of like reading scripts cold, you would literally turn up for your session, you'd have an hour. Sometimes there'd be seven producers who would be rotating in and out and you'd just be given 20 scripts. And you'd never seen them before and they're like, and let's go. And you're just cold reading them and they're trying to add music to it and you're trying to get it and you do three or four takes and you move on. That's such a good skill set to have because they say most Aussie actors that come here are really bad at cold reading because we don't have experience in it. Ah, that's interesting. So you've got a like secret trick. Well, yeah, I mean it's different obviously like doing a commercial, which is kind of what all the MTV stuff was like promos for their upcoming shows to actually like cold reading, you know, like a drama script. Still. But the experience and just watching how it all works. And I think that's kind of like then I was like, I think they were like, oh, you could present, you know, and then I kind of got into presenting a bit and cut a reel and did a few pilots and then... I actually booked a job. I can't remember what it was. I was thinking of it today. Just before I was, um, I decided to move to Paris for a year, which mm. is a whole other thing. Um, and I was like, do I take the job and cancel my flight and go to Paris later? And I was like, no, 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 I'll always come back and be able to do it. And I ended up going to Paris and then didn't book the job. And it's kind of like I always wonder what would have ah. happened if I, you know, it's like that sliding doors yeah, moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so, so, it, do you know when I was watching your show reel, it gave me Tim Blackwell vibes. Who's that? Should so I know he's, that? Yeah, no, well, he's a big Nova um, like radio okay, host. Yeah. So there's a TV show called, it was, it's like Kate, Tim and Marty. It was like oh, the, yes, the okay, most famous yes. show, And now that's been replaced by Joel Creasy. Joel Creasy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, but Tim runs the show, like he's the one doing everything. But you've got this when you were doing when I was watching a show reel. You've definitely got Tim Blackwell, like that ah. Aussie, but very 
relax. There's like yeah. a calmness to you when you're presenting as well. And there's, I think, a sense of joy. Like you, it seems like you're doing something you love. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll show you after. I've interviewed him and he's a legend. He was actually really scary to interview though because he's worked in radio so long he speaks in sound bites. Yes. And quick. But that's actually such a skill. Oh, and so far. <laughs> like it is such a skill, yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, so I want to know where, so you're doing TV presenting, all this amazing voiceover work. In the pod that I listened to you on, so you went to Paris, then London. Is yes. that how it went? Yeah. And then from London you went hardcore producing, right? Yes. How did that kind of all eventuate? Moving to London? Or? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Sorry, um, very loaded question. So many parts of that question. <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> um, I, was, I was working basically so I started off in casting, yeah. which was really fascinating. I really enjoyed it and worked for some amazing people like Christine King, Kirsty McGregor, who were just like the big guns now. I mean, yeah. and they were, you know, were at the time too and learned so much, but I just wanted to be on set. Yeah. I just really love being on set. And so through that, I was able to meet producers and be like, hey, can I come and work with you next time? You know, you've got a job on and someone brought me on board as a PA and then I kind of like never looked back in terms of casting. So um, so then I was working in production, but mm. then I was also doing events on the side and I started my own little event company because, um, oh again, it's, for me it's all the same thing. It's creating a world, you know. That, and it's like what you're saying about your parents, how they loved events and yes. stuff. Like it's all, yeah, I love that. Um, so I was doing that but I was 21, you know, doing my little event companies, working in production. All my friends were out getting drunk and I just burnt out. It was so I must have been a bit older. Um and then um and anyway, long story, I decided that I wanted to make the take the money I'd made and go to Paris. Um and live in Paris for a year and just have a break. Bucket bucket list, right? Um, yeah. I love Paris. So so I went and did that and then I was like, well, what do I do now? And I found out my grandmother was English and I could move to London, and so I moved to London. And then instantly was just trying to get in contact with people that, not that I knew, but that people from Sydney was like, contact this person, contact yeah. that person. But you went in pretty cold, like. Yeah. Without having, oh, wow. It was horrible. It is such a sobering experience. I think everyone goes through it, but sending for three months, sending emails to people mm. saying, hey, this is me, please hire me. Mm. And my personality, I had a spreadsheet. I knew everyone had emailed. When I emailed them, what they'd said, if they'd responded, if I'd emailed back, you know. But after three months, you're just like, oh, my mm. God, I didn't think it would be this hard. Like I've got experience. Um, but then anyway, I ended up getting a job and then that kind of like. Snowball. Yeah. And it took about three months of knows yeah that's so good to know though yeah like I think same goes for LA you know I've yeah. I've emailed 20 managers one responded yes like it's a it's I think people think uh, with the entertainment industry it's like overnight success whether it's on the camera behind the whatever it is and it's not I think you've got to like literally pound the pavement do like do the uncomfortable rejection it's an industry of rejections absolutely so once you were kind of like broke in London and then started to kind of like get on sets and do what you love, you did you then move into like music videos? Did that oh, happen there? Oh, yeah, good question. So I was working for a very well-known commercial production company in London. I was really lucky that that was my first foot in the door. Oh, great. And there was um, 
a, a few people in there who were like up and coming directors, and one of them was this guy called Oli Murray. And he said to me, hey, listen, I've been approached to do this music video. Would you produce it for me? I'm not a music person. It's for a yeah. band called The Horrors who were yeah. apparently big at the time. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, like I still don't even know. <laughs> and we had no money. And I was like, sure, like this will be fun. Like why not? You know, it'll just be like a little challenge. Mm. And so we did this little music video um, which was so much fun and then it blew up. And it just went crazy and then all the commissioners from all the record labels were wanting Ollie to direct videos for their artists and so that's how we kind of like ended up forming this little like production company where we were just pumping out music Mm. videos. Like it was crazy. Like I think some weeks we would shoot a music video on a Tuesday and then on the Wednesday we'd have a completely different artist. So how long would you shoot one? I guess they're all different, but roughly how long would you shoot one music video? For? Oh, just a day. They would really? only have budgets to do a day shoot, yeah. But we, are we talking like 18-hour days? I Yeah, look, I would always try as a producer um, not to kill my crew because mm. I feel like you've got to feed them or you've got to look after them. That's how they come back. So I was very particular about that because a lot of um, music videos, you the crew gets killed and they never want to come back and do another music video ever again. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think that was fair because you're paying everyone reduced rates, like severely reduced rates. And it's like, okay, if they're happy to come on board for a reduced rate, I don't want to push these guys to the limit. So I try and do 12, 14-hour days mm-hmm. if we could, but it's still a long day, especially doing back-to-back and different bands, you know, and all the rest mm. of it. So, How did the – I've got to ask about Ali Goulding. Oh, yeah. How did this happen? <laughs> um, well – I've watched the video clip. Oh, yes. Goodness gracious. Shot here in LA. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that happened because I was working with an Australian director called Kinga Bergza. Mm-hmm. She's also Polish half Polish. Um, and I, uh, while I was doing this thing with Oli Murray, this production company mm-hmm. that we had for music videos, one of the commissioners at Sony who I got along with really well, she got offered a job as head of music videos at a company called Partizan. Um, so she then got me in to do videos for her, um, which then led to me having a job at Partizan working with the managing director, oh, wow. which was amazing. Like I've I've always been freelance. I've never taken an office job and that was mm. my first like full-time office job and I just learnt so much. But King is one of their directors on their roster mm. and um, this Ellie Goulding video came in and we pitched on it and we won the bid and, yeah, that's how that all came off. And you were shooting here. Yeah. Was it a pinch me, pinch yourself moment like that? Yeah, really? I think it was. Um, we It was all like neon based and we yeah. wanted to shoot in Miami but it was well, just... It had total Miami yeah, and well, even Malibu kind of vibes. That was the idea but then I think she had a performance or something happened and we couldn't get to Malibu in time so we, I mean to Miami in time so we ended up shooting in L.A. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think so because LA's always been like, I guess a dream, but, but I'd never, I'd, I'd never really thought like, I've never had a plan. You know how some people are like, I'm going to move to LA. I've never had that plan. I'd just be like, God, wouldn't it be cool to be in LA? And then yeah. suddenly this video comes up and next minute, you know, you're in LA shooting, you know, in all these locations and your stuff and like, ah, oh, this is cool. Was that a longer shoot since it was like a bigger star? No. The the thing with music videos is they used to have huge, yeah. huge budgets. And when I started doing them, the budgets were severely cut. So that was that was still a, a 
decent budget, but it wasn't huge. So we could only afford a one-day shoot. Um, wow. It was a long day. Like that yeah. was like a 16-hour day, I think. Um, but, yeah, but even like, you know, a big artists who I won't name, like their, their budgets were like £40,000 to do a video and you just would never expect that. Oh, right. um, like boy bands, you know, their budgets were like £120,000. Like oh, you'd wow. think that they'd be a million yeah, or totally. half a million. Considering how many people watch video clips, yeah. like video clips are like a, uh, I don't know, like I've been down the rabbit hole of Harry Styles at the moment because I think he's amazing. He's on tour in Vegas and his fashion is insane phenomenal <laughs> yes. and I'm like, I want to pull off that look, you know. Um but I, I, then I go down the rabbit hole of looking up video, video clips. Like I'm still, I'm surprised that they don't have huge budgets because video clips to me are like, and I can't, like they're timestamps, you yeah. know, and you can go back to that time and that moment and, oh, it's so cool that you did music video clips because I know you said at the start you're not a music person but people use it for escapism, like it's still such a form of art but the video element of it, it to me is just as important as the soundtrack. Like, Oh, and it's the best training ground for your craft. Quick, you know, and dude. that's why Partisan has this music video department because music videos don't make money like commercials make money, but it is such a good training ground for producers and directors mm. and um, and even big directors to have creative freedom that they don't get in the TV commercial yeah. world. And you learn so much. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you've got very limited amount of time, a limited budget to try and pull mm. off things that are meant to look a million dollars. Um, so it's a really great learning ah. ground. Would, I had this question for later on, but would you say you prefer like more the commercial side of things when it comes to producing or mu- or music or uh, even film? Like what? where do you sit and go, oh, I love this the most? Definitely at the moment film. Yeah. Is that's, that because it's the magic? Yeah. Yeah, you know. Well, I think it's all, that's all magic, but I think I feel like I've done the music videos, I've done the commercials, they don't excite me like they used to. Um, and this is no, like, disrespect to anyone in commercials. Mm. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's an amazing skill set to have to do that. And at the end of the day, it's, it's bread and butter for a lot of people. Mm. But I just got to the point where I was busting my ass, like, which is fine. You do that in this industry no matter what you mm. do. But you wouldn't see your friends for three months. You, you know, you'd like half the office would be walking around with cold sores because they're so run down. Mm. And at the end of it, you've produced a 30-second tampon commercial. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life, you know? I mean, that's, a, you know, like yeah, I'm... Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm exaggerating because, of course, you can do amazing commercials yeah. for Coke and all the rest yeah. of it, but it just didn't didn't give me the thrill that I think... I think I always started off in this business to be in film and just kind of like took a detour and now I think I'm trying to like start in film. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't even call that as a detour. I would call that like you're just building the skill set, like working on really quick timelines, really restrictive budgets. It's like you've probably learnt this skill set that's going to be so handy when you transfer it to film because I imagine, please correct me if I'm wrong, but a film set you're probably going to have a longer time to shoot something because you're shooting a a timeline, a storyline, a plot. And you've got this skill set that you've learnt from not having a good time, like having a very short timeline. And and I imagine commercial, I've only had a, like a few experiences with commercials, but often the client will be on set. Yeah, and then you've got all to make, of that. And sometimes you have like the legal team editing what you say in the moment yep. and you're like, 
so I, I'll be like sweating there. I'm like, if I F up this auto cue, you know. <laughs> but it feels like it's when you talk about like loving the magic of film, I feel like that feels very different. Like commercials are great, but it's not necessarily about the magic. It's about selling something. So the, the value systems are quite different. Whereas I think film, and I would say probably music is similar, you're giving the viewer, you're like creating this experience for the viewer to feel connected to something. Yeah, totally. You know, so I feel like that's like this real art and I don't know, I'm probably like hippifying it a little bit, but I can see why you've kind of like tick done, commercial, music tick done, and then it makes sense to want to sit in the film space where people can watch something that you've worked on and have an experience and feel connected or escapism, right? Yeah, totally. And to develop the narrative and to like just have a a bulk of work that's like someone can escape for an hour and a half, two hours Mm. um, and just be completely in another world. Um, yeah, I just feel like I, I got a bit burnt out doing music videos and TV commercials, which a lot of people do and a lot of film producers do too. Yeah, um, understandably from what you were saying. Yeah. So there's a really um, there's a really cool quote I heard you say and I love it because I think anyone could, you know, you can apply this to any, anybody's career goal aspiration. It's like treat people with respect, don't be an asshole, and don't take the piss. Yeah. And is that kind of like as a producer, are you referring to that as your crew? Like you want you want to treat everyone really well on set? Because, I mean, if you're on a big gig, I imagine there's a lot of people to look after and oversee. And as a producer, I've described, I've heard you say like I'm the mum to 100 kids. <laughs> yes. Right? Is that kind of like your motto? Like you just want to treat people with respect? Yeah, but I don't think it applies to just producing. I think it just applies, well, any career and just life in general. But I I learned a really good lesson, which is this lesson when I was casting. Often we wouldn't have the budgets to have a casting assistant. So um, one of the studios that I worked at, uh, I would greet the actors as they would come in. And this is me 21, okay, and I probably looked 14 at the time, right? And I would tick them off and some of them would be so rude to me, like so incredibly rude and you're just like, okay, they're having a bad day or they're nervous or whatever. And then I would go through another door, which they wouldn't see, into the studio and then I would come out into the hallway where they're waiting and I would call them in and they would be like, okay, and then they'd walk in and you could see their face drop when there's no casting director when I'm it, I'm running the session and they're just like, oh, my God, like I've just been so rude to this person. Mm. And some of them be like, where's your boss? And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> sorry, mate, <laughs> you're doing this with me today. Um, so that was a really good lesson for me because you just don't know who you're going to meet or who paths totally. you're going to cross and, like, there's no reason to be a dickhead. Just be nice to everyone, you know, like. So I just think that's like a life lesson. Has it happened where you've ever crossed paths with people that have been like that at a stage and then you get to, I know, like, has has, has have any of the people that were, like, a little bit shirty with you or hard to work with at one stage then come into your orbit and you've been like, no, thank you, I'm going to step away? Yeah, there's one that I remember really well. Um, I, it was actually he was a first AD on a shoot and I was a second AD or something mm-hmm. um, and he was so horrible to me the whole shoot and then later when I was producing, his name came up to be booked as the first AD and I was like, we're not using this person. 
Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. I, it's it's nice to hear that. I know I've definitely had moments where people have been like really rude to me and then they've done an Insta stalk or something like after the fact and I'm <laughs> like and then they're nice as pie, like you'll be in an event or something and you're like, is this person like they totally yeah, changed their tune on? with me and it's yeah. just that they've probably a little bit fake and yeah. two-faced. I, but I, yeah, I wrote that down. I really, I really like that. I want to talk to you about because you are – in an interesting boat where you've experienced both behind the camera and in front of the camera. And to me, they're two completely different beasts. I think to be good in front of the camera, you've got to have a a brain that understands behind the camera for sure. Like is it a wide shot? Is it close? Is that like what's – and then I think behind the camera as a producer, having been in front of the camera, you have this understanding and empathy for your actors, for your talent as well, because you've been in that sh- in those shoes, would you say that it's helpful having both skill sets? Definitely, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I think, especially with producing, if you can understand more about everyone's department than anyone else, you are able to understand their needs and what they need to get their job done and then you can have that, you know, prepared and waiting for them ahead of time and that makes everyone's job run more smoothly even if you're in front of the camera or behind the camera. I just think that's such an important skill. Like even my my casting knowledge now, just knowing how it works and knowing what it takes to cast a show helps so much with producing um, and knowing what they need and timelines that you're negotiating, things like that, because you understand the process that they're going through too. And that's exactly the same for, you know, someone on on screen, knowing what they need, knowing um, simple things like how best to set an auto queue up, like, you know, whether to give them lines ahead of time or just to give it to them on the day and what will feel more natural for them. And just simple things like having a comfortable area for them to sit in and just presenters get nervous too, you know, like and just making them feel like they're looked after, like all those things, knowing what is going through their mind on the day is so important to getting the job done. Oh, I love you spoken like a true producer, <laughs> like caring about everybody's skill set. And- yeah, you're, you're a mum. Like right. I really see it like that and I don't mean that in a derogatory way but you're, you're literally like you are – you are this maternal figure looking after everyone and I say it's like you're looking after them in pre-production, getting them ready for their first day of school and then when they arrive on set, that's their first day of school. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I've got to say though, like I know like I take any time I do presenting really seriously and I almost treat it like an acting gig and if you work with someone that has empathy for actors or presenters and have done it before, they're going to have so much fun with you. The director, the producer are going to like, you're going to become this little team and you're all going for the same goal. And it's like the most joyful experience. And we've talked a little bit about that magic, you know, you can feel that. But I've worked with directors and producers before that have just like barked things at me and treated me. And I've felt so like like I've, all my self-doubts have come back because I've felt like I'm out of my comfort. Um, they'll like almost like enjoy my trip-ups and you can feel that because there's so many egos in this world as well and so it's a testament for, to you for like caring about other people because I think that's reasonably rare. But, ah, really? Sometimes, yeah. I just don't know how you get the job done effectively if you're not aware of those things, you know, like, for example, the film I just worked on, 
Um, it was often we'd have six looks. I didn't know if you were allowed to talk about it. Oh, I can talk about it, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, you've yeah, been yeah. in America yeah. working oh, on a yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in America working on a film. Um, it's out in March. It's called Senior Year. Yeah. It's super, super cute. And you shot in Atlanta? Yeah, we shot, shot in Atlanta. Um, but, for example, like um, the lead actress in that film, some days she'd have six looks. Oh, um, my goodness. And and that's a huge amount of changes. So what you've got to think of with those type of things is, one, you've got makeup and hair that have got all these changes to do, yeah. which sometimes can take an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. On top of that, you've got wardrobe changes and you've got to understand, like, can the prom dress, can we get dressed in the trailer or does it have to get dressed on set because we don't want it to get crushed? So all that's got to be incorporated oh into the timing of the day. Then you've got to think about the actor who has to put herself in six different frames of mind because you're shooting a bit at the beginning of the film and the end of the film. And that's just going to say the the timeline is skewed with films, right? Yeah. Because you can film like day one might be like the most romantic scene ever and you haven't built chemistry yet, right? Yeah. That's so confronting for me. Uh, it's full on and to watch it happening, it's like, oh, my God, you have to be so sharp and on it. Really? Uh, yeah, like but but you've got to understand. And then on top of that, you've got lighting setups and everything. And so that's all got to come into play when you're scheduling, you know, with the AD team and all the rest of it. And if you can understand all that and have everyone's um, needs met, which often you can't and that's just part of, you know, the machine. Um, then I feel like you get a much better production and, and a much better morale on on set too. Oh, I love that you just shared that because I think I didn't realise until I started training that films are one shot out of sequence, two, you might not have as much time as you think to rehearse or prep something as this is an actor but you're coming at it as a producer and you've got even more to think about. And I think what I love that you just mentioned is it's like you're kind of managing all these different personalities as well. Like actors sometimes are super confident and sharp and this amazing like mystical, mythical creature and you're like how do you even do what you do? And there's a lot of amazing people out there like that. But sometimes if they're having a bad day they might feel anxious, self-confident, like their self-confidence might be and, – and, as a producer, I feel like you'd have to read that play almost ahead of time and be like, right, I know what's going to make that person feel a little bit calmer. I'm going to make sure. I feel like you'd be constantly troubleshooting little things. Yeah, that's that's you constantly troubleshooting is a better I was going to say putting out fires, but troubleshooting is a better way to put it. Listen, you're together for 11, 12 weeks. Some yeah. of these Marvel films you're together for a year. Ozark's been in Atlanta for a year shooting back-to-back seasons. You become a dysfunctional family of sorts you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have yeah. more than a bad day and everyone's going to have a bad day and it's trying to like be ready for that. Oh, I love it. So can I ask now that you've said that you've recently been working on mm. film, what was your biggest takeaway from that? Because now knowing that film is where you're kind of moving towards career-wise, at the end of that shoot you're like, ah, oh, I like was there a moment that you were like I love that or was it was there a lesson that you were like I've now learned that new thing? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, this is going to sound so corny, but every day was a moment because mm. it's just like, as I said, like I just love being on set and and that film had so many, it's got dance sequences, romance sequences, you know, drama, comedy, the comedy, like the cast is just mm. amazing and a cast of all ages. Um, so every day I was like, I just love this. Like this is just 
like it just, you know, and it just yeah. feels so good. Yeah. Um, I think I surprised myself. Um, I'm very hard on myself. Um, so I wasn't sure what to expect going into it, but I think I surprised myself how at ease I was and how I completely, there was not anything that I was like, I don't understand this or what's going on. It was like, yeah, yeah, I totally get this. Oh. And I think that's just from years of experience, which I never add put much value on, but I, I feel like I have now. I'm like, oh, I get it. Like this and this and this and this now knows that I, means I understand all this. Yeah, you've done all the work. You've done the time. Yeah. You've done the skill set, and you, you're you're ready to move into the big gap. This feels really. You're in LA film. I feel like this is the big guns. Well, I didn't. It was you that said to me the other <laughs> week, Sam. You've just done a Hollywood film, yeah. and I'm like, oh shit, I have. <laughs> it's just weird. I don't. I think it's my personality, but even like. When you when I think of milestones, I don't ever. It's only because I knew I was doing this podcast with you that I was actually like, oh, do I have milestones? I kind of like do something, and then I'm like, what's next? Yeah, but you're a high achiever. Yeah, that's that, that's that. And and the fact you've got spreadsheets. And <laughs> I wanted to quickly ask you when you say you create like an or like is it no? Do you create the Bible, but you call yourself the Oracle, like the mum? Oh. is the Bible literally like call sheets? contact numbers, what time everyone needs to be there. Is it is that what the Bible is? Yeah, so I guess because uh, lots of people were like, what do you do as a producer? And it's so different depending yeah. on whether it's film, um, TV commercials, whatever. But, yeah, I used to always say the only way I can explain it is either like you're a mum of like 100 children everyone's got their needs and you're like trying to look after them or that you're like the oracle. Like especially on TV commercials, you're the one person that knows more about every single thing that's going on at that point in time and about the production and about every element of production than than anyone else. Mm. Um, because often you try and shield the director from all the dramas because you want them just to focus on the creative. Yeah. So you're having all the conversations about things that are going wrong and, you know, all the rest of it. So it's like the oracle. And then I say that the call sheet is like, the Bible, um, so that you should be able to pick that up and know exactly what you're doing and when you're doing and when you need to do it so you don't ask production any questions but everyone always asks production. (laughs) It's like like when you get on set, people's adult minds just turn off and they know they're going to be looked after. So like production is just like I've had people call me at like 4 a.m. on like overnight shoots where we've all been like staying in some hotel somewhere and they've been at the bar drinking and they've lost their room key and they're like, Sam, and it's like 55-year-old man and I'm like, go to reception and tell them you've lost your key. Yeah. Why are you calling me at four in the morning? Oh, wow, you're yeah. like the helpline for yeah. everyone. I love it. Um, I When we had lunch the other day, you spoiled me and took me for a beautiful birthday oh, lunch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked about because we've both, we're kind of on a similar timeline. We've both come to LA to kind of like feel out this dream and you said to me, I feel like this feeling like I've met my people, like people that are creatives that are talking about wanting to write things, produce things, shoot things, and I would agree. Like I think it feels like you're in this melting pot of creativity here. Yeah. Is that how it does? Is that what it feels like to be here in LA? Yeah, definitely. And look, I'm sure you have this conversation in six months, I'll be like, everyone's driving me fucking crazy. All they want to do is talk about scripts and, you know. <laughs> But yeah, like it's 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 quite unusual to be in this environment where literally like everyone here is here for the same purpose. And I don't even mean the same purpose of just making it. I just mean the same purpose of like 
coming here with the goal to make films, make TV, yeah. make whatever it is, and everyone's got a script, everyone's doing classes, everyone's, you know, interacting with each other. Um, and it's so nice to be able to go out to dinner and people are talking about their projects and you're yeah. hearing about what they're doing and, like, uh, yeah, it's just for me that doesn't happen that much in Australia unless I hang out with those people, whereas I feel like here that happens much more often. Yeah. I, when I was first coming over here, my amazing publicist friend said, this is the one place where you can be literally sitting down at your favourite coffee shop, having a coffee and a director will discover you. She's like, that's actually not uncommon and it's so funny like you were just saying people are in classes like even in class I've now I'm now in a writers group that has come from just being in class like there is a real taste in the air here of like opportunity but also hope and it's very very positive whereas um and and you and I like you love Melbs, which is where, yeah. you know, and I, I live, got a home in Byron. Like I love Australia. It's amazing. But this is uh, the attitude here is like, oh, let's just write that thing. Let's just try that thing. And it's all around creativity and it's all around like there's a, I feel like for creatives there's a lot of support. Like I was in acting school yesterday and people cheer when your scene ends. And it's just like in Australia when I've been acting school, Everyone is sizing each other up because they're competition. And so the attitude around creative work feels very opposite ends of the scale. Would you agree? Yes, it's 100%. And I'm really glad you said that because it's, it's, I love Australia. I love yeah. working in Australia. I love Australians. Um, I love working with Australians, you know, and it's funny that there's so many of them over here. Yeah. Uh, but, a friend of mine said something to me which I thought was a really interesting comment. He's an actor and he said, you know, in Australia I tell people I'm an actor and they say to me, oh, yeah, what's your real job? Here I say to people I'm an actor and they go, oh, my God, amazing, what have you done? Have I seen it? What are you doing next? And that was such a good little thing for me because I'm not acting but I was like, oh, my God, it's so true. Like you almost feel a bit ashamed in Australia, you know, unless you're like, really well know it. Yeah. Whereas here it's like everyone's supporting each other and, you know, and I know some of my friends who who are like have made it mm. still feel that sometimes in Australia, you know, it's that tall poppy syndrome, yeah. which is so unfortunate. I wish we could be more supportive. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know what that is about our culture that we're like that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that because... That's the main difference for me as a student and also like in Australia I got told like my age is a barrier as an actor. I turned 36 a couple of days ago. Um, and here not one person has ever said that to me that like I'm putting scenes up every week at school and I've never felt like my age is a barrier at all. In fact, I think my age is probably a great thing for me mm. to be entering the industry at this age. It's it's so interesting. I don't know if it's like a fear thing or is it that the pool is so much smaller in Australia and therefore, you know, like there's less TV networks, therefore there's less work, there's less gigs, there's less budget. Whereas here there are so many. It's endless. Right. I there's mean, always something going on I here. have anxiety watching TV here because there's literally. Too many options. <laughs> 1,200. I spent an hour just trying to work out what I'm going to pick and then the show's ended. Yeah. I'm like, God damn it. Now, now I've got to go through that whole process again. Right, I went to a comedy show just in Venice last week and one of the actors is on a show that I love but I just went to see him do stand-up and yeah. hadn't put two and two together 
DM'd him straight after and was like, can I interview you on the podcast? Didn't think anything of it. And he's like, I love Aussies. Yes, of course. It, yeah. Versus I've asked a few actors in Australia to come on the pod and they're like, ah, uh, yeah. n- no. And yeah. I'm like, God, like it's just a different energy. It is a totally it's- different energy and I wish I could put my finger on it and I just i have never been able to work out wh- why that is. Well, I feel like one thing that I do love, really love about Aussies is the Aussies that are here in America, it's this wonderful camaraderie. Like Aussies know how hard it is to be an Australian living and working in America. Yeah. And so it's like this weird unspoken love that they're just like, you're an Aussie, let's grab coffee, let's connect. Do you feel that too? Yeah, definitely. Well, and that's beautiful. one of the reasons I met you, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, totally. I feel like there's that you definitely, we got invited to that Aussies in LA thing and yeah. it's like, again, it's like a whole group of like, Aussies that are just here together and there's so many of them but not even in entertainment. Like there's, you know, um, a a friend of a friend who owns a cafe and he's just opened a restaurant who's absolutely killing it, you know. There's a few Aussies in the hospo world here that are just like A-game things. Um, ah, What do I want to end on? Okay, here we go. I've got it. This is your final question, my friend. Oh, my God, okay. So if we were like... Look into the future, look into a crystal ball. What would you be doing in two years from now career-wise? Ah. I love asking people this question. Look, ideally I'd be producing more films or TV. That's that's the goal. Um, and I don't know, I'm still working out if I'd be living here or if I'd be splitting my time between here and Australia. Um, but, yeah, in two years' time that would be that would be my dream, to be doing more in that world. And TV is much faster than film, isn't it, shoot-wise? Isn't the turnarounds like you'll shoot really quick? Yeah, it is in some respects, but it just depends. Like, as I said, like, Ozark has been shooting for over a year. Like, the film I I just did was 11 weeks. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it depends on the project. But you love the magic of, like, film and TV. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just, it does something to me. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I totally feel you and that is exactly (laughs) why I'm training here and just soaking up as much as I can. It has been an honour to have you in this podcast, my friend. Thank you. You've inspired me me loads, (laughs) as always. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) You said to me on the weekend, um, you had to give a speech and you said you knew with this person it wasn't a matter of if it was a matter of when, and I want you to know that that's that applies to you as well. Oh, thanks. So, yeah, just trust, chase yes. the dream. <laughs> Big love, my friend. <laughs> we are jumping in here with little PS. We're still here. <laughs> Lola's like, get out of my fucking kitchen. <laughs> this, as Sam was just saying, like. We talked about so many highlights just then and dreaming big and being in LA and obviously there's also going to be times where sometimes our expectations aren't met or you work really hard at this thing and then it feels like it blows up in your face and I know I've had a lot of those times. Can you share anything around failing or something not turning out the way you wanted it to? Yeah, absolutely. I just I kind of feel like they need to teach failure as a subject in school. Um, like, and I don't even like the word failure because I think you learn so much more from failing than you do succeeding. Agreed. Um, and 
like I always like to look for the lesson in things, but sometimes I just think there is no lesson. Like sometimes shit just happens. And what I've really learned being here is that it doesn't matter if you're an A-list celebrity or or you're not a celebrity or you're, you know, whatever you're doing, everyone fails. It's not that suddenly you make it and your life's perfect and you don't have failures. You still pitch things and that you don't get. You still go up for auditions you don't get. You still, you know, overlook for things. Like that's going to happen constantly all through your life, whether you're a producer, director, actor, or, you know, running a coffee shop. Failure is just, it's a part of life. And when I look back on things where I failed, where I've been completely disappointed. Um, I remember I wanted to put this play on um, called The Eight Reindeer Monologues. Oh, yes. Do you what? know it? No, no, but I've seen on your, anyway, I researched, I, I deep dived your resume and I saw you did a lot of Christmas things. That's just what made my brain go <laughs> over. Yeah, so it's, it's a Christmas play. It's about um, the eight reindeers, yeah. you know, um, and one of them gets molested by Santa and it's eight really amazing monologues. Um, actually, Ian Sinclair was one of the reindeers. Was he really? Yeah. <laughs> he was brilliant. I think this is before he started directing. Was this comedy or dark? It, it's it's like a dark comedy. Yeah, amazing. Um, but I, I wanted to get the rights to this play and someone else owned them in Australia and I had the old fits lined up, which, oh, you know, was perfect epic. for it. And I just couldn't get the rights. Um, and, um, and I was really, really, really devastated. And I ended up doing years later an ATYP course called Directing the Actor. So you were telling me before this, what does ATYP stand for? Oh, okay. Australian Theatre for Young People. In Sydney. In Sydney, yeah. Got it. Um, and the course was, I think, six actors and six directors Mm -hmm. and the directors were learning how to direct actors and the actors were learning how to take direction. And part of the um, course for the directors was at the end of the um, course they had to pitch an idea of something they wanted to put on. So I pitched this reindeer idea because I'd wanted to put it on and it had fallen through. Um, One of the actors who was training was a young Rebel Wilson Mm. and she came up to me after the course and she said, hey, I really like that idea, we should do it, we should put it on. I'm like, I can't get the rights. And it just so happened that the rights had lapsed and <gasps> I tried again and I got them. And we ended up getting a slot at Belvoir. They had a six-week free slot at Belvoir Street in Sydney um, just before Christmas. And we put this little show on together. We turned it into a musical. It was better than I could have ever imagined. I directed it. She was in it. We both produced it. And it was just one of those, we sold out every night. It was just one of those moments where you're like, gosh, I was so, like I was devastated for months that I couldn't get the rights. And it's like, as it turned out, it was actually a good thing because it led to so much more and I was probably much more experienced by the time I did that too. Oh, I love it. Now I really want to see the play as well. It was so fun. But what I love is like, Lots of the people in it, like Ian and and Alice Babbage who do the costumes, who now is in Canada, you know, doing costumes on Mm. a huge film. I I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, but it's like like huge actors, like, you know, and everyone's kind of gone on to do do their own Celeste Barber actually auditioned. Really? Yeah, I love (laughs) Celeste. She's just the best. This is like 15 years ago, you know. Um, And she didn't get it, which she's still shitty with. I think still to that, 
I, I heard on one of her podcasts she was like ratting me out. I'm sorry, Celeste. <laughs> you would have been great, but it's just it's just one of those things, yeah. you know, like. So was Ian in that version? Yeah, he was oh, in it. Yeah. Amazing. I'm yeah. totally going to ask him about and it. And Tom Campbell, who's like Celeste's right-hand man, yeah. um, and then Rebel was in it and, oh, we had such a beautiful cast and it was such a fun thing to do. We were all like 23, 24. Oh. But it's just talking about failing, you know, it's just one of those things where I was just like, oh, my God, like I cannot believe that. I was so devastated and that this is now what has come from that. And that's, that formed a beautiful relationship with me, with Rebel, with Alice, with, you know, lots of people in that cast, which has continued on until today. Oh, I love it. There's a, a, there's a saying in acting school where I train with Ian, which is like, you work so hard like you're in the Olympics, like treat this training like the Olympics. But it's like this idea of like working really hard but then letting go of needing to be perfect or like needing to win or have that thing. And then it's like there's you ultimately I think the last piece of that puzzle is you kind of need to trust. And so it's like you did all this work early on when you tried so hard, you wanted to buy the rights, you had it all ready to go and then you know, you had all fits lined, you had all this like exciting stuff lined up, you'd done all the work on it and it's not like that work ever went to waste mm. but you had to fully let go and like practice non-attachment and then it came back to you. It's like it's this, it's almost a lesson in like working hard but trusting as well that things will work out and like look where you are now. You literally, we met I think a week or two after you'd finished being filming that yeah, m- massive film in America and, you know, it's also like at a time when Australia is in a really tricky spot right now and in lockdown and you're fortunate enough to be here and to be doing something that you absolutely love in, with every fibre of your being. And I remember I think you and I were walking around at a flea market and you were like, I'd just stay on set extra to soak up the energy, right, and to be around it like you're literally doing what you love and I think it's a testament like those lessons and awesome failures you know how to work hard you've got that in your whole being and now it's just a matter of like trusting because it that's a really great example of like do the work let it go trust and you're still gonna fail and shit happens every day I, I was again I was desperate to get the rights to this book and a different book yeah to turn into a film and I I didn't get it and I was devastated and I'm still you know this is three years later I still think about it but mm. for me the important thing with that is that it's actually being made it's got funding and it's going to be a beautiful film but that happens. That's what I mean. It doesn't matter what level you're at. So it's about getting used to it and, and understanding failure, I think. And I think that helps you like move forward and, and helps you succeed in other areas. 100% because you're forced to skill up and grow. And I love, I always say I love failure because I get to face my blind spots. Like if you put that the eight reindeer monologue thing yeah. on earlier, like like you said, you wouldn't have done all that extra training as a director. You wouldn't have major connections and like got to work with actors that you had a natural affinity and bond with. Yeah. It would have been a very different very different experience for you. So I think oh I'm so glad we did our PS. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. You are absolutely yeah. wonderful. Sam Kennedy, I am honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. 
I'm at Yummo Lola Berry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love.